welcome to episode 92 of the False Neutral Podcast. I'm Pete, Eric is with me, and we are not going to do our usual workshop update this month. Uh, two reasons. One is Garrett has exams for school and can't join us this month. The other reason is we do have a special guest this month, uh, Steve uh, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about you, and uh, and then we'll get into a conversation. Okay. Um, I'm Stephen from Stephen Photography. I'm a motovlogger from the Midwest. I live in the Lake of Nebraska area. been doing this for about, well, a year now, last week. So I've got about 80 videos out, about 580-some subscribers. I'm I'm really impressed that you put out 80 videos in a year. Yeah, that's working 12-hour days, too. <laughs> the reason that I originally found your website is I was interested in finding out information about the Honda Fury, which is what your wife has. And quite honestly, yeah. I'm not a chopper guy. I'm not – to clarify that, I'm not a forward control guy. Uh, I like to have my feet underneath me, so every time I get on something, whether it's a, a Harley or a Cruiser or a chopper that has real forward pegs, uh, it never was anything I was really comfortable with. But for some reason, I have a kind of a distant fascination with the Fury, because when it first came out, it seemed like Honda was trying to cash in on the Orange County chopper phenomenon about five or seven years too late. And I was like, oh, this is going to be a total flop. And then I started reading the reviews on it, and everyone was like, this is amazing that it looks like one of those, you know, custom choppers of the late 90s, but it actually behaves like a really easy-to-live-with, smooth, comfortable, low-effort bike like you would expect a Honda to be. And I was really fascinated with it after I was at the dealer, I don't know, earlier this spring. And they had a brand new ABS version. I don't know what year it was, but a couple years left over, still on the showroom floor. And they were blowing it out for like, I forget what it was, but it was a like a four-digit price. I'm sure it was going to have, you know, probably a grand of bogus destination charges and documenting charges and stuff <laughs> on top of that. But, uh, you know, for that kind of money, that would be something really cool. And I sat on it and I, instead of it instantly getting off, I sat on it for a while. Now I didn't have my feet forward on the pegs, but I was just sitting on it, you know, like you would at a stop sign with my feet on the ground. And I thought, this is really cool. I really like the dash. I really like the handlebars didn't seem nearly as extreme as I would have expected them to if you look at the profile of the bike. So anyways, that's I, I was looking at that, and then I went and I found out you were in Lincoln, which is only, what, uh, 175 miles from here, I think, uh, within within 200 yeah, miles like that. of Kansas City. So I was like, oh, this is somebody else in the Midwest. And I started watching your videos and was watching you and your wife, and I said, hey, that, this would be fun to, to have somebody on that's kind of in my neck of the woods and used to riding some of the same roads I ride. So... That's a really long explanation of how I found you and why you're on, but uh, thank you. Uh, tell us a little bit about your impressions of the Honda Fury and why you bought it for your wife. Well, they might have tried to cash in on it, but they did it right. 
Uh, have you ever tried to ride one of those hand-built choppers? Oh, they're awful. They're, uh, they have, they have no oh. suspension. They're, they're just horrendous. I don't remember what year it was, but Nebraska Lottery bought, I think, two bikes from OCC for their, for their lottery. And one of the gentlemen that, that got one was in Iowa, but he brought it to the local Harley shop because it was leaking oil the second he picked it up. <laughs> and, and we were out there hanging around with him and he looked at me and he said, go take it for a spin. And I got it out on West O Street, which is Main Street, basically in, in Lincoln. And I took it about four blocks and I tried to turn it around and I was in the left lane of a four lane road with a median in the middle of it. And I had to stop and back up. It's amazing. And I brought it back and I said, yeah, this, this is, this is junk. And he looked at, and I'm, I was really good friends with the person who owned the dealership at the time. And he looked at him and he said, what do you give me for it? He said, I, I don't want it. <laughs> so, um, I didn't even know what a Honda Fury was until we walked into the dealer the first time. My wife had just taken the writer's course because I had just bought a new Harley and they gave her a free writing course. And, uh, I, I was thinking to myself, man, we've got to get her a bike soon before she loses interest in it. And she didn't want to ride mine because the first time she rode it around my farm, she dropped it, which was no big deal because they have crash bars, but she thought it was a big deal. So. We went to the dealer and I was just poking around and they had that one sitting there for four figures, like you said. And I was interested in it and she sat on it and then the, the salesman started it the first time and it was pretty much over with after that. She wanted it. I rode it home for the first time the next day and I couldn't, I couldn't believe how easy it was to ride. The front end never fell down. I was expecting that OCC chopper. The front end never fell down. Um, it had gobs of power. The motor ran smooth, which I wasn't used to because I'm used to the Shake 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 Harley motor. And uh, riding at home, I, I just I fell in love with it too. And then she learned to ride on it. She says that she wouldn't mind have, having something with cruise control stuff like that, but she absolutely loves that bike. About how far can you take that before the ergonomics get to you? Because what I've heard about it, and I haven't ridden one, but um, is that just exactly what you said? They steer and handle so much better than you would expect, given the dimensions and the proportions of the bike. Is a couple of times in some of your videos, I know your wife is like, "Yeah, my back is starting to hurt me." About how long does it take? Now, also, how how tall is your wife? Is she is she tall, short, somewhere average? Um, she is 5'4". Okay, so for her, that's probably a pretty good reach to the pegs and the, the handlebars. But nah, she's all legs. Oh, okay. She, she has an easier time reaching the foot controls than I do. Interesting. Yeah. What What is the endurance on that thing for for either you or your wife then? Like, you good for like an hour, two hours, and then that's about enough? Or She, she can go from Lincoln to Omaha is uh, when we got there. She didn't complain about it, but she said that her back started her a little bit. She has a harder time with her, her right hand just getting tired more than anything, um, which, I don't know, maybe a throttle lock. But. Yeah, a throttle lock, probably. You know, yeah. they've got throttle locks that screw into the end of the bars that you can kind of adjust it so there's just a little bit of drag, so it actually doesn't lock the throttle, but it'll take some of the, the need to hold it open off your hand. Although I find, even if you're not twisting against a real strong throttle cable, just having to tense your hand up so that it doesn't arbitrarily, you know, like bounce up and down uh, as you move around on the bike. 
I've got a Can-Am Spider with cruise control, and my wife talked me into getting the cruise control model. I didn't think I'd ever use it. Right. And then when I got Fuck. it, the amount of effort it takes just to hold your hand in the proper position, even if it's not fighting against a spring, really is is a whole lot more than I ever thought it was. So I get wanting to have cruise control. Oh, I've a night and day different. I've told Garrett and Eric a couple times, the next new bike I buy will have cruise control. I rode a, uh, a KTM the other day. I forget which model it was, but I, I was shocked. I looked down and it had cruise control. Was it one of those uh, off-road bikes or was it like the standard bike? It was a standard bike. At, um, 690 Duke, yes, 790 yes. Duke? Duke, that's it. It was a Duke. That's it. Yes. And I think it was the big one. I think that's what the salesman said. The 1290. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That thing's a monster. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. (laughs) That's the thing is once you have throttle by wire, it's the cost of a button and a reflash of your engine management computer to include cruise control. It's really interesting. On the Triumph Bobber, the standard Bobber doesn't have cruise control. The Speedmaster and the Bobber Black do. It's $125 for a replacement pod for your left-hand handlebar. But then you have to have your dealer reflash the chip to activate it. So you can't just plug it in. You have to go to your dealer and pay an extra fee for them to reprogram that to make it go live. So you're into this for... I think it's like 300 bucks when you get all done with it. And there's really no manufacturing cost difference. It's just a way to get more money if you buy the base model. It's not like it costs them any less to build the bike because they didn't put that one button on the left-hand side. Well, they have the computer flash and a Harley dealer. That's, what, 120 bucks at least? Probably. Same thing's true with the the non-touring big twins. Uh, I looked at a 2018... Softail Lowrider, and I really like the bike, and it has accessory cruise control available for it as well. You can't just buy the component for the switch. You have to put the switch in and then have them flash your your firmware. <laughs> That's how they get you, that Harley tech. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, so what what got you actually started with, uh, with the moto vlogging? On my electric glide, I was trying to figure out how to put a different radio in it. I was looking at YouTube videos because somebody said, hey, check out YouTube videos. And I ran across a couple moto vloggers, and I was like, what are these guys doing? And then I was watching it with my wife. We were watching a guy named Blockhead. She said, that guy sounds an awful lot like you. I bet you could do that stuff. And I was like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> well, then I became addicted to it. So I watched, like, every single video he had in, like, a week. And I was like, all right, I'm doing it. <laughs> so... I went and bought a went and bought a GoPro and I went and bought my first full face helmet since I had my crouch rocket and threw it together and made horrible videos at first and slowly got better at it. Well, I still cringe because our first uh, episode of this podcast is the one that still gets hits all the time. I think people find it and they decide to start at the beginning, and it's probably the worst one that we've ever done because we had no idea what we were doing. We didn't know each other. When I look at our podcast statistics and I see people continuing to download that one, I'm like, no, 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 go forward a little bit. Just just look at one of the new ones. <laughs> well, I just downloaded that one today. so uh, They get better. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not significantly better. Not significantly a whole better. lot better, but... Uh. Well, I, I, I kind of did this at the last second, and I thought, well, I better binge listen to some of these. So I listened to your first three or four, and then I picked a couple of them in the middle, and then I listened to the last two. And I was working at the same time, so don't ask me any questions. I, I have a recommendation for you if you want somebody that I think does it really well. Are you familiar with Cager on Two Wheels? We've had him on as a guest yes. in the past, and he is, and I, yeah. I love his videos. <laughs> He's a good one. Yeah, what, were, what does he write? I haven't watched this stuff in a while, but he had like a XJ6 something, 600, 660. Oh, okay. At one time, maybe, but I think he sold that and has got something else. I have, I have not watched any of his videos in a little bit, so. Yeah, I forget what, he, I know he had a bad crash. And, uh, oh. was not able to ride for like a couple months. I think he got rid of his old bike or his old bike was totaled. Or, no, I take that back because he was on a test bike. He was riding a bike that belonged to a local dealership. He had a mid-sized Yamaha, I think four cylinder. And I think he got rid of it and got MT09 or something like that. I forget what it is that he's got now, but oh, uh, nice. you, you need to watch his MT10 video. Because there's a part where he, he didn't even have it in the full sport mode. He had it like in, in whatever like the B mode was and he whacks open the throttle getting on the highway and he immediately like pulls over and you can tell he just about crapped his pants and there's just this string of <laughs> expletives out of his mouth of what the hell was that? Because it just, the front end came up and he was just so shocked at how fast the thing was. Wow. If you, if you watch any of his, the, the MT10 video is one of my favorites of his. Yeah, I'll have to watch that one. So what is it that you see as your, your niche? What is it that you're putting out on YouTube that you think makes you unique or different? Or why would somebody want to watch you rather than the Minden Flyer or somebody like that? Well, um, my most watched videos are the ones with the Fury in them. Uh, I think the market's flooded as far as Harleys go. And I think there's just not a lot out there on the Honda Fury. So those, those get a lot of views. Um, otherwise, I, when I go out to Motovlog, I don't go out with a plan at all. And I've talked to other Motovloggers and they're like, man, you gotta have an idea. You've gotta have an outline of what you're gonna do and stuff like that. I'm like, no. No, I don't. If I hit the record button and I come up with something good to talk about and I think it's a good video, then I'll, then I'll edit it. Otherwise, there's times I go out to ride and I don't say anything for 45 minutes and I get home and I'm like, well, that was a waste, but at least I got a ride. So I don't know necessarily if I have a niche that people are drawn to yet. Like I said, there's this, this YouTube thing is so up and down. If you take it too serious, you're gonna, you're gonna go crazy because there's times analytics will say that you've had 3,000 views in the last 48 hours. And then you'll look 48 hours later and it'll say you've got 500 views in the last 48 hours. It's, if you take it too serious, it's just up and down. But the, the thing is trying to figure out when people want to watch videos and to upload them then so it's fresh, which I do not have figured out. Uh, the best times are like about 7 to 8 o'clock in the morning uh, for them to go live seven to eight o'clock in the morning on the East Coast, or uh, about seven to eight o'clock Pacific time. 
Really? See, I would have thought it would be like after everybody gets off work, but it's before they go to work so they can watch it when they're at work, huh? Yeah, um, on, on some videos, there's like, ooh, cool, morning dump squad checking in. So <laughs> people in the morning when they get up and have their coffee and go sit in the throne room for a little bit and watch a video. So, I, hey, you know. <laughs> I have to say, I have watched the majority of the Bad Obsessions Motorsports uh, Binky and Escargo episodes while taking care of my morning business. So <laughs> That's, a, that's interesting. <laughs> there you go. The uh, market's taking a lot of dump, apparently. It's kind of like the podcasting world. Uh, if you look at the iTunes uh, rankings, sometimes we're in the top 20 for the automotive category, and sometimes we're in the top 200. And I, and I haven't figured out exactly what's going on there. <laughs> but we're not making any money. We're not trying to monetize this. We're not trying to, you know, build a career out of this. So it's an excuse for three of us to get together and talk once a month. So it is what right. it is. And we don't put a whole lot of effort into trying to promote it or grow our audience or anything like that. As you said, you can't take it too seriously. I think that. Like, I see a lot of YouTubers come and go because they decide to quit their job and think they're going to do YouTube full-time and they've got 5,000 subscribers. No, no. I know guys that have a million subscribers and they still have a daytime job, you know? So, I mean, it's... Yeah, what people don't understand is the there's a rule of thumb and it all depends on what section, what segment you're, you're doing your videos in. But it's literally... Uh, for for if you get a hundred thousand views, you're gonna make somewhere between two fifty and three hundred bucks for a hundred thousand views. So if you want to do that, great, but you're gonna be putting out a video every single day. Yeah, and then you're gonna get tired of it. You're not gonna want to do it anymore, and your videos are gonna suffer from it. Yeah, and I mean, and it, and at that point, what you got to do uh, is work and and get sponsors advertisers and brand deals you know i mean that's that's how you do it at that point so that you make more as much or more money from ancillary things or shirts t-shirt sales or whatever else you're doing merchandising that as you do from the youtube thing so it's a youtube thing that are you out on your bike right now i have to ask i am oh okay i am (laughs) i've thought about doing that but i i never got around to it i want to ask you what equipment do you use? Uh, you said you got a GoPro, and I know you just recently got sent a headset communicators because I saw in your video that you were kind of talking about those being new. Uh, when you first started out, were you just putting a microphone inside your helmet? Yeah. When I started, the GoPro 5 was coming out, and I got a GoPro 5 and a, a microphone and an adapter, and it was the wrong adapter, and I went probably... Oh, I don't know, probably a month with horrible audio trying to figure out what was wrong. And then I started watching other videos and you got to buy this $60 GoPro dongle thing on the side of your helmet also. Then I plugged that into that and then my microphone didn't work with it because I bought a cheapo microphone, a Sony microphone that everybody said works great with the GoPro. And then come to find out that uh, I had to have a giant squid microphone for 50 bucks. I come to find out that with the GoPro 5 just coming out, everybody was new to it, so everybody was having the same problem. So I spent about $300 more than I needed to if I would have just spent about two months later. Wow. And then everybody else would have had it all figured out for me. But So I've got the GoPro Hero 7 now. I've got uh, two Purple Panda microphones. 
and a, a splitter that I hook into the dongle, and then I, I plug both of those microphones into it. I've got one just uh, just in front of my right cheek pad and my helmet on the nose guard, and then I've got the other one next to a, a speaker in my, my helmet for my center, and that's how I can do my dual vlog. It records my voice and whatever comes out of the center. Ah, okay. So it's actually your helmet speaker has a microphone in front of it. So it's going to the speaker and then to one of the two microphones. Yep. Interesting, because that is that I, that was something I wanted to bring up with you. Because um, I've got a couple of different sports cameras that I attach various places on my bike when I ride, and mm -hmm. the problem is once you get over fifteen miles an hour, all you hear is the wind rush. Right. It's really not useful at all. And I would really like to record my conversation with my wife. And I thought, okay, I can put a microphone in my helmet, but I don't get the other side of the conversation. Half of what I say wouldn't make any sense. It would be really cool if we were, like, for example, uh, last year we went out to uh, Mount Rushmore and we were going down Needles Highway. And we were like, wow, this is really cool. Oh, Look man. here, see this. And that would have been a really cool audio track to have instead of just watching the shot from the front of my bike going down the road with, you know, a whatever music soundtrack you decide to put with it. And I couldn't figure out how right. to do it. Uh, Senna does have a, a couple of different solutions. Uh, one of them is the Senna backpack that fits on the GoPro camera. The problem with that mm -hmm. is it only works with the older GoPros. And you can't right. make it waterproof. There's not a waterproof case for it when it's attached to the camera. It doesn't fit in the standard waterproof enclosure. So it's like, okay, that's not the greatest one. And people have said they've had a real problem with them staying connected and, and pairing and stuff. It's not the, the most reliable one. Then Senna came out with a Bluetooth sports camera that mounts on your helmet. It's one piece that has the Senna communicator built into it. Uh the 10C, I think, isn't it? Yeah, it's the it's not the Spectrum 2, but it's the original Spectrum Bluetooth or something like that. But my wife and I both have uh, multiple Carta Scholar Riders. We're not going to turn around and invest in Senna products. And my wife doesn't want to learn how to do something different because she's like, she's like, why would you want to hear my voice? <laughs> this is this is. So what I did is I took one of our old Scholar Riders, an older model. And they make a a little connector that's actually designed for a half helmet, but it doesn't have a microphone or a speaker built into it. They plug in. And I ran that unit to a uh, Zoom digital audio recorder right. and then paired that in as a third member of the conversation so it could hear what both of us were saying. So I could just put that in my saddlebag, hit record, and whatever the two of us said were picked up by that as if it was a third person in the conversation with us. I think my way sounds a lot easier. Yes, and I'm really impressed with the audio quality that you get from <laughs> that, because I would have guessed that would have been really difficult to get halfway decent audio quality out of. I, <laughs> the YouTube videos out there on it. Yeah, uh, that's an impressively uh, clever solution. So there's a guy in Florida, his name is Photogrammer, and he actually has a Senna Momentum helmet, but this is the the setup that he uses. Minus, I use Purple Panda microphones instead of the Giant Squid microphones because for some reason the Giant Squid microphones, when I when I brought the Senna into it, 
it had a lot of feedback. So I went with the Chase on Two Wheels idea, and I went with Purple Panda microphones, and for some reason, just different microphones fixed everything. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I think I think I had I I still may have one of these giant squid mics from way back in the day. <laughs> They've been around for a while, I think. Yeah. When I was uh, oh yeah, I had I had to get one because I was recording. This is this is going back to when I was podcasting back in like two thousand six seven. Um. So yeah. So it was like oh. well the only mic that worked with like with this J River recorder that I used for recording while I was driving when I was trying to like when I actually had work at the time and then was also trying to do the podcast. So yeah, it was, it was interesting. <laughs> so you guys have been podcasting for a while, huh? I have, uh, but we, well, we've been what, a little over three years now, Pete? Three yeah, a little, years little now? over three years. And we were kind of what you were saying, uh, what you kind of alluded to is if you do it too much, you get a little burned out. So we were monthly for almost two years. Weekly? And, or excuse me, we were weekly, weekly. for, for almost two years, and then I had some personal stuff going on. My mother-in-law was was end of life, and we were caregivers for her. And I said, I can't do this. I'm I'm getting burned out. So Eric and Garrett kind of did it irregularly for a couple months, and then after that episode was over, I said, okay, I'm ready to get back into it. We decided to go monthly so that we weren't doing it every week, and it actually has worked out real well for us. We don't have as big an audience. And everything I've read about podcasts is monthly. It doesn't work. You you lose subscribers, and we actually have lost a, a I don't know, not a meaningful amount, but a percentage of our subscribership since then. But podcasts have to be at least once a week to keep your audience interested, and that's kind of at the point where we said, well, I'd rather do it and have a certain number of listeners than not do it at all. So, Right. Uh, um, during Harvest last year, I had a guy, a gentleman, uh, comment on one of my videos saying, man, you don't, you don't do them near enough and you need to do a video every other day and yada, yada, or I'm out and stuff. And I'm like, all right. And I delete all my negative comments because I don't need to put up with negativity. And uh, I messaged him back, and I said, well, if you want to do this and you want to do my job, go right on ahead, because I ain't got time to do that. It's it's amazing how critical people will be of a free product. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. As you say, they almost become more invested in it than you do. Yeah. <laughs> right. You, did, you didn't just do a five-minute video that took you five hours from beginning to end to edit and actually upload on the Internet. But, yeah, go ahead. You watch it for five minutes and let me know how bad it is. Yeah, and, and it's not like there are other videos they can watch if they don't like yours, you know? I, I've kind of taken that out. Yeah, exactly. We, we had somebody that were, was criticizing us because we used to have, like, kind of like a topic that we would cover every episode. And we kind of got away from that. And some of it was we both, all three of us, had, had uh, bike projects that we wanted to talk about. So it kind of evolved more into talking about what we were doing in our workshop for uh, at least a portion of the the podcast. And we got one guy sent us kind of a snarky criticism of it. And <laughs> Eric kind of summed it up. Okay, don't listen. You're not in charge of this. We're doing this for ourselves. And 
if you want to tell us what you think it should be, great, but that holds exactly zero water in the whole scheme of things. Yeah. I've I've been doing YouTube videos for 10 years, and about five years ago, I finally came to the conclusion that, uh, you know, I've got 4,500 subscribers on my channel where I review cars, mostly cars and some other stuff occasionally. You know what? It is what it is. And at that point, I'm doing it just to amuse myself and doing it for my own posterity, right? Um, if you like it, great. And if you don't, see ya. I don't care. I, and, and I used to have the thing about deleting comments, but usually what I, when, when I get snarky comments or people being idiots, I just, I, I use the, um, let, let's just nuke it from space to make sure. <laughs> so I just, I literally, I literally come down with a hundred pound hammer on these people and just be a complete ass and they either go away or, you know, uh, or, or whatever. I don't, I, I don't care, you know, but it's like, if you, if you, you know, it's like a fungus, you let it grow and don't leave it alone and let it grow. It's just going to get worse. <laughs> I just try to eradicate it as fast as I can. <laughs> you don't, you not, have to, otherwise. I mean, I mean you can't just put up with the bullies. Yeah, that's, that's probably why I was a really bad salesperson. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't a very good salesman because I can't lie to people. <laughs> then there's that. In 2001, I worked at a BMW Mercedes dealership, and an old lady came in and said that she wanted another BMW because she had BMWs her whole life, and this was going to be her last BMW, and she sat down and she was a splitting image of my grandma and my grandma had been passed away for two years or so. And she looked at me and she said, is this the best deal you can get me? I was like, Nope, I'll be right back. <laughs> I went back to the sales desk, came back out and she goes, is this the best deal? And I, uh, Nope, I'll be right back. And I came back out and I said, ma'am, this is the best deal that I can give you. And she goes, okay, I'll buy it. And I was like, good, get the hell out of here. <laughs> Holy smokes, I'm done with this business. I, I had a, uh, I worked several different times. I've worked in motorcycle dealerships and, uh, I only worked as a salesman for a short time. And I had a boss who said, when people call and they ask you if something's in stock, the answer is always yes. I have one left. Get down here right away. Whether we had 12 <laughs> or whether we had zero. That was, and, and that was the point where I'm like, no, I'm, I'm done. Cause I'm the one when he walks in and says, where is it? And I say, we don't have any. I got to put up with all that crap. And so. That's when you look at them and you say, that guy right there is the one you talk to on your phone. Go talk to him. Well, very interestingly, he, he required all of us to wear uniform shirts. We all had polo shirts with the dealer name on it. He never ever wore anything identifying himself as an employee. And he would wear, uh, shorts and, uh, like a Hawaiian shirt most days. So he could walk around the dealership and not look like an employee because hmm. he didn't want that. He didn't want people. Oh, and the name of the dealership was not his name. So if people came in and asked for Mr. So and so or said, you know, well, you better give me a good deal because I'm a friend of Mr. So and so. It's like, okay, that name doesn't even exist at this dealership, so I know you're spouting crap. But, uh, yeah, it, it takes a very unique person to be in commission sales, and I'm not one of them. Uh, I can't do it either. He said, everybody who comes in through that door 
has money in their pocket or in their account. Nothing on that dollar bill has their name on it anywhere. So I'm free to assume that's my money in their pocket. And anything I do to put it in my pocket is justified because that's my money. <laughs> I was like, wow, okay, that's a little harsh, but I guess that's how you got to think. Yeah. So question for you is, um, do you, did, has it taken you a long time to get comfortable with being able to concentrate on writing and talk at the same time? Um. Well, because I always talk to myself anyway, and it's really no different than that. Um, now, when my wife came into the picture, uh, especially with her being a new writer and being new to the whole intercom thing, I found myself uh, focusing on her and what she was doing in front of me and thinking to myself, okay, is she going to go around this turn right? And then you think to yourself, oh, wait a minute, you need to go around the turn too, buddy. So um, as far as talking to myself is no different, learning to talk on the phone and to talk to other people while you're writing, that took a little bit to get used to. But, I mean, it's like everything else. Once you get used to it, it's no big deal anymore. But I also drive for a living. So, you know, I, I have to communicate with customers and stuff like that while I'm driving anyway. So it's just on a bike now instead of in the car. So you're on your Harley right now, right? Yep. Okay. I, I have to ask you, you don't quite have eight hanger handlebars, but those are pretty tall. My wife, every They're time, 16 inches. every time we, uh, see somebody with, Usually it's more extreme than yours, you know, the, the ones that they're truly at eye level or above. She says, why do people do that? I don't understand. That looks like the most uncomfortable thing in the world. And I've never ridden a bike like that, but I've ridden one like yours. And I have to say it wasn't really my cup of tea. Uh, it may have just been that it was so unusual for me that, uh, you know, I, I wasn't used to it. But tell tell me the rationale. What is it that you like about having the real tall handlebars so that next time my wife asks, I can respond from somebody who actually could give her an explanation? So my thing is, is that I am all torso. I have, I'm 5'9", but I have a 28-inch inseam. So I am taller than most from my hip to my shoulders. So regular handlebars, I find myself bending over, leaning over to them. And I rode a, um, the friend of mine that owned the local Harley dealer, he had a 06 Road King that was all built to the moon. It had 16-inch apes on it. And I said, Dave, I want to switch my handlebars. And he said, go out and ride my black one out there for a little bit, see what you think of that. He said, it'll probably be too tall, but go ride that. And I came back and I said, I want everything that you've got exactly like that on my bike because I was so much more comfortable for the controls to be brought up to me instead of me bending over to the controls. Yeah, but when you're uh, now the... 12, but go on, go ahead. You know, I was going to say, uh, when you're out on the highway doing 60 miles an hour, don't you feel like a sale? I mean, are you, aren't you having to constantly hold yourself up, like, <laughs> you know, hold your, tense your arms to keep you from getting blown backwards at that? Well, that's when your seat comes in. If you've got a good seat with a little bit of lumbar, that makes a big difference. 
my seat doesn't have <laughs> any lumbar on it right now, my solo seat. So you do find yourself holding on a little bit. Um, that's one nice thing about my wife's fury with your arms down a little bit. But even then, I'm, I'm hunched over bringing myself to the controls because my arms are short. Um, so you do feel like you're taking all the wind in your chest, but that's when you just go home and you put your windshield on. Ah, okay. Okay. So what is... But I just did a trip here recently up to uh, Valentine, Nebraska, and I had planned on going farther, but weather changed that. But I fought wind all the way out to Grand Island, and then I fought wind on Highway 2. When I was on the interstate fighting the wind, it, it got uncomfortable. Um, but when I was on Highway 2 at a slower speed, I didn't hardly even notice it. So does that mean that, yeah, the speed has a lot to do with that? Um, I'm so used to it now that really I just kind of lean into it and, and I don't know, hold on. I got a strong core, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose if you do it all the time, you would, you know? So, uh, yeah. so your answer is it truly is what's most comfortable for you. Yes. And for me, having my arms straight out is more comfortable and I can control it better. My cousin is a, is a motors officer. And he rides the Harley for a living. And he can make those things do ungodly things. I mean, if you look at it and you're like, all right, that bike is not supposed to be able to do that, but I just saw it with my own eyes, so it must be true. And he got on my bike and started doing stuff, and he said, okay, the ape hangers make it harder. And I said, I disagree. My ape hangers made it easier for me because before, especially on my electric glide that I had before this one, I had 12-inch apes on it. Well, 12 inch handlebars, I guess you don't consider them apes, but, uh, with the, with the stock handlebars, I scrape my running boards constantly. And when I put the apes on for some reason, I, I don't know, I had more control of the bike, it felt like, and I didn't have to lean it over as far to make a turn. And that's all in my head. I know that, but it makes me feel better. Well, if it, if it gives you more confidence and you feel, you know, and, and you feel, more confident going down the road. That that's really all that matters, right? And I have taken um, my cousin has given me uh, classes, I guess, where he says you're doing it wrong, go do it again, and then he yells at me and makes me feel like I'm about two inches tall. Uh, but I feel like I don't think I'm the best rider out there, but I'm pretty darn good at it. Um, Doing simple things like you try to watch a guy make a U-turn on a city street, you can't do it without backing up. And then or, you or do it paddling right around. It's the guys that I see right, you come down to about five miles an hour and then duck walk their their bike around into the next lane and then start it up again. Yeah, don't forget they had to tell them to get tell their wife to get off first before they did it too. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you that I um, took a. Uh, I took an experienced rider class from a guy that uh, he and his wife rode on his Goldwing at speeds that I did not think that cornering speeds that I did not think that bike was capable of. Two up on a Goldwing, he could he could I mean scraping not just the foot pegs but like the foot pegs and 
the mufflers and everything repeatedly. And they were like, oh, you know, that, that wasn't 10 tenths. That was just, you know, us out for a ride. And it's just amazing what some people can do. And <laughs> I, I am, I'm more of, I aim for the center of the envelope. I try to stay away from the edges and I don't want to know where they end. So <laughs> I ride like an old Have you man. heard the story of the, have you heard the story of the guy that was at the tail of the dragon with the gold wing? And there was a pack of, uh, sport bike riders. And he said, hey, guys, can I ride up there with you? And they're like, no, you got a gold wing. We're going to go through here pretty fast, old man. And he goes, oh, okay, that's fine. He says, how about this? I'll start in the back, and I'll just follow you guys. And they're like, all right, whatever. I think by the time they got to the tail of the dragon, he was in, like, the third spot from the front rider. Yeah. And they said when he was when he was going around those sport bikes and stuff, he was dragging bags, and he was throwing sparks, and they couldn't believe it. So it doesn't matter the bike, it just matters the rider, you know what I mean? I'll tell you, there's if I, I I'm not sure I could point you to it, but there's a YouTube video that a guy had a GoPro chest mount. Uh one a French journalist at the introduction of the new I guess it was twenty eighteen was the first year of the new gold wing with the with the funky front suspension on it. When that was introduced, because right. they deliberately said, Hey, we want you to show that this new gold wing really handles, he released a video. And it was he and another journalist up in the Pyrenees or the Alps or something on this super tight switchback mountain road, just throwing it into corner after corner of these really tight hairpins. I couldn't do that on, you know, a sport bike. And these guys are just tossing it from side to side. I was dumbfounded, so... It's kind of like the the oh, it's unreal. the cops that do the the bike rodeos and have the the cone uh-huh. courses set up. The stuff they can do, you're like, yeah, yeah. I'm not, not going to be able to do that. <laughs> no, and my uh, my cousin Johnny, he is he's been involved with those quite a bit. They have one up in Omaha every year, but he didn't do it this year. I don't remember why. But watching those guys go through the courses. And I mean, they're, they're pushing themselves so hard that when their bikes go down, I mean, they, they fall off of them and they roll a little bit, you know, and they jump back up and they throw the kickstand out and you can see that they're all ticked off and they grab the bike from behind, you know, and they, they throw it back over onto the kickstand and you're like, that kickstand's going to break if he keeps doing that. And then he gets on it and then he just pushes it even harder because he's upset, you know, <laughs> the red mist. Yes. Like, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, it's unbelievable to watch what they can do. And even so, my wife was having a really hard time riding her bike, and she was very timid when she first started riding on the street. So I asked my cousin Johnny to come and, and help her out and see if he can get her some pointers, you know, and stuff. And not not necessarily make it so she could grab, drag her pegs around every corner, but just make it so that she can, you know, turn the corners and stuff. And by the time she, he was done, I like he helped her for like 45 minutes. I mean, she was she was banking the bike when she was turning it from a stop, you know, and she was turning the bars full lock when she when she took off from a stop and everything. And and uh, and then he looked at me and said, "Hey, go put your GoPro out in the middle and turn it on." And and with the only bike that was there was the Fury, and I'm like, "Oh, that Fury's never going to be able to do the things that he does with his Harley," you know. And then yeah, it's in the video. Wow. He's, he's, 
he scrapes both sides and he he's doing full turns, you know, 360 degree turns like they're nothing. And I'm like, uh, the problem is, is after you watch somebody do that, you get on your bike and you're like, oh yeah, I can do that too. And you got to get yourself in check. So you realize, no, you can't. Otherwise you're going to die the first quarter you take. <laughs> well, I've been watching my wife play guitar for 25 years and I still can't play guitar. So... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, uh, what, uh, are, are you mainly around the Lincoln area? Have you gone on long trips? What kind of distances do you ride? What do you like to do when you're not just going around town? We have ridden the PCH over in California. Um, we've done about every single road up in the Black Hills that there is. We've done Beartooth Pass. We've We've um, been down into Texas in the hill country. You had a video from down around uh, Harrison, Arkansas, which is a place that I know yes. pretty well. Yes, I love, I love that area. The only problem with that area for us is that the drive down there is really boring. So you got to go through Kansas City and all that. Once you're there, it's great. But the ride there is not that great. Have you ever, um, have you ever been to Rugby, North Dakota? You, I haven't. I have a I have a ride that you would just love. It's from Smith Center, Kansas, to Rugby, North Dakota, <laughs> in one day. Really? <laughs> it's oh. it's six hundred and seventy five miles straight north on US two eighty one. So you go through Grand Island and all that. Yeah, actually, it's Very something cool. I started about five years ago. It's an annual ride on the Saturday closest to the summer solstice. There's a monument that marks the center of the forty eight lower states. In Smith Center, Kansas, everybody meets at that monument at dawn and takes off, and everybody meets again in Rugby, North Dakota, about 42 miles from the Canadian border, at a monument that marks the center of the North American continent that is a very similar stone monument. Every year, the third or fourth weekend in June, uh, about 100 guys make the ride, and Everybody that's done really? it said, oh, this is really fun. I've really enjoyed it. Uh, and there's a whole lot of people that are like, that sounds like torture. Why would you ever make anybody do that? Riding across, <laughs> you know, Nebraska, South Dakota, and North Dakota continually all day just sounds awful. But well, I, I've, I've done it twice. Really? We've been out to Smith Center every year to kick them off. I don't always do the ride. But, uh, yeah, for five years now, they've they've done that. And if anybody I, uh, listening would like to find out more, go to smackdab281.org is our website or to our Facebook group. There, there's That's my plug. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> so, of the rides that I've done, I will I'll honestly say, obviously, the PCH is number one. That's amazing. Beartooth Pass is somewhere in the top five, but to be honest with you, Western Nebraska and those sand hills, I absolutely love it out there. There are there are a lot of really cool roads out there that you actually have to go looking for. You can't just you can't just I mean, you'll see them on a map, but you look at them on the map, and you're like, all right, I'm in Nebraska, let's go from point A to point B, and then let's get the hell out of here as fast as we can. But Highway Two across Nebraska, that's that is so much fun to ride. And then, shoot, if I had a map in front of me, I could tell you. But uh, there's a couple other little towns across there 
going from Highway 2 up to Highway 20. There's so many roads going across there. It's probably about 60 miles, I think-ish, somewhere in there. And there are so many roads that go from that highway to that highway that are that are just awesome, and people don't don't know about them because our wonderful state has a helmet law. But you know that's a whole different story there. Is that fairly close to the to the Black Hills area? Is that are you thinking? Is this like northwest part of the state? Yes, out in the Sand Hills. Yep, and and I've been to Sturgis, and people are like, "Oh, you're from Nebraska? That's pretty flat, isn't it?" I'm like, "Oh, oh, Northwest Nebraska is is beautiful." Oh well, we'd go that way on our way home, but we didn't bring a helmet. You know, is what we hear a lot. Interesting. But I mean, Nebraska misses out on so much revenue because of their helmet law. And I'm not a lawmaker, and I'm not ever going to be a lawmaker, and. That's fine. I mean, they, they'll do whatever they want anyway. But even if they would lift the helmet law a week before, two weeks before Sturgis or two weeks after Sturgis and just see, maybe try it for a year just to see if the revenue grows, you know, because all those little towns across there would benefit from that many riders coming through there. Interesting. I, I, I personally can't imagine riding that kind of a distance without a helmet because... There are too many times that I always have since 1980 uh, have ridden in a full face helmet, and I've had too many too many close calls with stuff hitting me in the face, June bugs and grasshoppers, and and uh, just you know gravel from trucks or just the wind. After a while, I'm like, I want to put my face shield down because I get uh, now. I realize if you're behind a uh, windshield, it's a little different. But uh, I've never found a windshield that I like to ride with. So, oh, I hardly ever put my windshield on. Ever since I started wearing a full face helmet, I think I've put it on twice, and I couldn't stand it either time. I've been asked before that, well, you're so much against the helmet law. Would you ride without a helmet? I say no. I'll always wear a helmet, especially since I've discovered the full face helmet, which not really discovered it. You know, it's been around for a long time, but since I actually started wearing one. I will I will never go back to a half helmet. And I will I will always wear my seatbelt and I will always wear a helmet. But uh I mean there's so many people out there that don't want to wear a helmet and you know, a lot of them end up in the Black Hills the first weekend in August in August. So but a lot of them don't even bother coming through Nebraska because, you know, they don't wanna pack a helmet with their tent. Okay. They're they're lost. Regardless of the safety or the legality it just doesn't sound like something i would enjoy (laughs) right but i realize there are a lot of people that ride bikes i wouldn't enjoy either so you know (laughs) and i'm i'm a big fan of full face helmets just because uh i had someone pull out in front of me even though i swear i made eye contact with them they saw me coming i had to lay my bike down and uh the, the my face shield hit their tire so, better, yeah, better that than my than my actual face. So, uh, yeah, I, I thought it thought it felt good on your nose. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I have, still came I still came away with a pretty decent concussion out of that whole deal. But you know, I have a, a good friend oh. of mine always wore a full face helmet, and his girlfriend decided she wanted to ride with him, so she bought a scooter. Her attitude was, "I don't need a full face helmet," and she had somebody 
blow through a stop sign, hit her. She went face first into the gravel in the side of the road and did severe damage to her face. And she was a beautiful girl who to this day is scarred from the accident. And, you know, her attitude was, well, I don't want to wear a big race helmet. A little helmet on my head, that's going to take care of me because I'm I'm not really riding. I have a scooter and I don't leave the city. (laughs) I see a lot of guys on grounds that are still wearing full-face helmets. I turned my wife on the full-face helmet after I got my first one, and she says she won't ever go back either, just simply because, obviously, a woman is worried about her face. And she says when we get to where we're going on a long trip or something like that, when she takes her helmet off, her face isn't all black. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, they each of their own, I guess. And her, she says her makeup doesn't get messed up either. I'm like, all right. Well, if that's what it takes to make your head safe, whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. So what's the, where do you want to go with your, your channel and your vlog? Just to just kind of bring it back to the beginning as we wrap up here. Um, I just want to have fun with it and do whatever I want to do. I've talked to people that have um, deleted their channels, start up new channels because they get people behind them that sponsor them or give something to them for this or that, and they they kind of take over their channel. Mm. Um, so I just I just want to keep doing it the way that I I want to do it when I want to do it. Yep. Uh, it's probably a good point to wrap up here. Give our best really? to your wife. Oh my gosh! And uh, both of you guys continue to. Ride safe, and uh, I'll check in on your YouTube channel now and then, and keep up on what you're doing. And plug. And what's your YouTube channel again? Once again, it's uh, Stephen Photography, and photography is spelled F A U X T A G R A P H Y. So all A's. I know it's spelled wrong, but believe it or not, there were so many Stephen Photographies out there with the end of it spelled right that I, I just wanted to be different. Very good. And I'll put a link to your channel in uh, the post that we put on Hooniverse.com when these go live. So if you want to check out oh, Steven's cool. videos, you can go to Hooniverse and check it out from there. And uh, we'll also put a link in our Facebook page. Eric, anything that you want to add, plug, uh, make comments on before we wrap up? Um Got some parts that we'll talk about next month as I'm going to start tearing apart the motor on uh, on the XS. Uh, headed to Canada tomorrow morning as we record this to go announce the uh, final round of the Canadian Superbikes for the National Series there. You know, follow us on the Facebook at uh, facebook.com slash the false neutral. You can follow me on Instagram at Rumblestrip. And I've got some uh, updates on the little uh, Honda 125 project that uh, I will also share next month. Stephen, thanks again. Get yourself home safe. Thanks for joining us from the road, and we will see everybody next month.